the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. First hour of the show is in the books. Now we move into the second hour. Typically and historically, the second hour is a little bit goofier, a little bit more lax. Stocks are climbing. Can you say five for five? We've had four up days this week. This is insane. I like it. I'm digging it. I own the market. But I could be honest with you and say, this seems to be much. Four up, four down, four up, or four up. The S&P 500 has risen every day this week, up 3.9% in the process. And the prior two weeks was down 4.1%, so we're basically back to where we were three weeks ago. The market's drive for five this week will be put to the test today in the final hour. You know, there's some proximity to 52-week highs that make people a little nervous, like, hey, can we get above it? Can we not? Simple truth of the matter right now is that international trade's picked up in the recent months. It's a far cry from robust, but it's picked up. So there's some good news out there. Let's get to a phone call, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Let's go to Paul in Vallejo. Paul? Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. First off, can you tell me where that guy, uh, John Scott, hangs out at? Man, I'd like to get that guy hurt for bringing you to uh, Clear Channel, man. (laughs) That's kind (laughs) of you. Kind? Okay, my question. Uh, 30 years old, uh, I make about 32K a year. Okay. I'm not in a job. I wish to retire in, so I'm taking classes at the community college. Good. Uh, so I'll be there until you know I'm able to do something about my income. Uh, I have 17k and 401k. Congratulations. Uh, 11, 11, 11.5 year to date. I'm maxing it out this year. You have uh, put in 11.5 and you only make 32. Yeah, I live very, very frugal. You are my man. Like I'm, I'm proud of you. Yeah, got a thousand, not a thousand in company match. Uh, got thirty five k in savings account. Okay. Twelve uh, k in uh total stock market fund with Fidelity. Good. Uh, what I want to do is uh, at the end of the year, after the four hundred one k max, just cut it cut it back to about ten percent and do another ten percent into my uh, Roth IRA. Okay. And uh, take twenty five to thirty five k that's in savings. And buy my first home. Okay. Uh, good idea, bad idea. If you don't like that idea, can you also talk about, uh, I read an article in Kiplinger. Uh, they're talking about checking finder.com, get 5 4% uh, in an uh, online community bank with, uh, if you have an account over twenty five grand. Yeah, not 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 bad thoughts. Uh, are you a married man? Single. Single. No kids. Okay. No, no, no auto loans, no debt. Okay. And I'm just, I'm almost blown away by your situation. Why would you want to buy a home? You only make thirty two thousand a year. Uh, because it's I live you know in this 
this Solano County area. Every you know, it's cheap right now. I, okay, it's just been a goal of mine. I don't know how much you're going to qualify for. Okay, because I'm about okay, go ahead. How much do you think you could afford a month? Uh, I'm looking to stay under nine hundred. Nine hundred a month. Yeah, and you make thirty-two. Um, do you take home thirty-two, or is that pre-tax? That's annual. That's uh, that's gross. Okay. It's not a lot of money, and you're talking about putting upwards of fifth, upwards of 45, 40% of your income into a mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. I would be very sober about that before you do that. I would look at the data, details and make sure that you're comfortable with your job and your, your income and such. Um, the truth is, Paul, is you and I could live in a cardboard box for the next 40 years. It's just important that we save enough money. Uh, 30 years for your case, because you've worked 10 out of your 40 years, so you've got 30 years left. We, we, You and I could live in a cardboard box for 30 years, but it's important that in 30 years from now, you have close to a million dollars. And you're on track so far. Um, you're doing good. I wish your income were higher. I, I would work on getting the income higher before getting a home. I, I just don't think the home's that important. Um, not in where you are. What what job do you do now, and what job are you looking at doing? I'm just in retail. Okay. Uh, just retail sales. Most of my, I mean, you know, most of it is uh, commissions, you know, hourly rate with the uh, commissions. But I, I mean, it's either medicine or finance, you know, medicine, I mean, medicine is, you know, it's just a lot of education. I'm I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. Are you, what are you getting, thinking about being a nurse or something? Mm, yeah. Like occupational uh, therapist, something along those lines. I don't think that's a bad idea, Paul. I think you're, I mean, I'll give you credit. I think you're the smartest listener I have and, or that it's been on the air in quite a while. Okay. So, I don't know what you're asking. What was your question? 401k versus uh, Roth IRA? Uh, not initially. I mean, it's what I want to do is put this. You, you, you look at this balance in uh, my savings, 35K. I'm almost earning nothing, you know. Okay. Just, so, the online community bank. Burn out. Yeah. Kind of online um, bank. Okay, here's what you should do. And what I'll throw out on that, and thanks for the call, is um, your, the money that you're earning almost nothing on, you have to set aside two months because you're in retail and it'll take you about two months to go find another job in retail is my guess. Um, so you set aside two months of emergency money and I don't care where you put that. Uh, it can earn 2%, it can earn 4%, it can earn 1%. I really don't care. It's emergency money. It's not for the TV. It's not for vacation. It's not for the holidays. Um, but the other money, I think you should shift into... You can do an online bank. You can do an E-Trade. You can do an ING Direct. You can do a money market account. Um, I don't know about this community bank that you found at Kiplinger. Kiplinger is a pretty good website, and I think they do a pretty nice job of uh, giving you resources and tools to draw upon. So I I have no problem with it. Make sure it's FDIC insured. Sometimes if it's a a high yield, like 4%, there might be something tied towards it. Like it might be a pain in the ass. Um, stay inside the United States. Never go with like an Icelandic bank. Don't do that. Um, it might be a pain, uh, as far as, yeah, it might be a pain as far as, uh, you know, getting your money on a, you know, 10 minute basis. It might be more of a 72 hour basis. Let's go to Chris in the East Bay. Chris. Hey, Rob, how you doing? Doing well. Good. I found your show about six months ago, and I really enjoy it. I wish I found it years ago because I've got myself into the Darwinian wood chipper up to my neck. Okay, what's your what's your scenario? <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm forced to uh, file Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Uh, I've already uh, determined that. In fact, uh, you had a gal on your show some months ago, and uh, I think she was a lawyer. 
in San Francisco. And I actually emailed her, and she got back to me right away, and she pretty much agreed with me that I didn't really have much choice here. Uh, my specific question for you is uh, this. I bought some time ago with my wife a one of those vacation ownership packages. Yeah, get rid and of it. I've got to list that as um, among my real property or personal property. I don't know where it's going to go yet. <clears throat> but I uh, consulted an attorney who said, oh, you know, those things are basically worth nothing as soon as you buy them. Right. Um, but I do have some real money invested in it. And <clears throat> I'm wondering, do I list that as worth nothing? Or I called a uh, a resale company that will list your property for you. And they gave me an idea of what other similar properties were listed at, right. which is not nothing. So what's the real scoop? Um. Timeshares are basically worth nothing, and they decline in value fast, and people find out quickly that they don't much care for them. If you can get out of it, get out of it and make it a real asset. Uh, it's tangible at this point in time uh, because you have two different people telling you two different angles. Um, I would personally try to get out of it as soon as possible. You're in a tough situation, and the last thing you need is the liability of uh, having to make monthly payments. I'm, I'm with you on that, but it's far, but I got to get through this chapter seven thing first. Yeah, talk so. to the attorney, and the attorney will uh, put it in the right the right category for you. I'm sure. Okay. They've they've seen they've they've classified timeshares more more than once. So good luck, Chris. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks for keeping your head up and understanding that this is a, a process that we all go through, and we all hit tough times. Eight hundred three four five five six. 390 get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. If you know one thing about me, you know that I am in love with technology. I just like watching where it goes. I think it's the coolest thing in our lives. Now, I want to talk real quick about TiVo and Hulu. Now, Hulu's that website online that you can watch TV shows. You missed Heroes. You can go watch an episode. Now, TiVo is that DVR box that sits under your TV that's really, really smart, and it tells you what you should be watching, and it, it records stuff for you, even if you don't have time to record it. It basically is a super smart VCR. TiVo said the video website Hulu, his last major aggregator his company wants to work with to increase programs for TiVo. I would love that. You know why? Because I can, I can instantly cut cable. Boom. It's gone. It'd be that fast. I wouldn't have to pay 60 to 100 bucks a month for cable TV. Hulu will have to come to some sort of terms with the big screen and get themselves on the television set away from the computer monitor. When they decide as a policy matter that's something that they'd like to do, TiVo wants to be a partner with Hulu. You know what TiVo stands for? This is not true, but to me it does. Television in, video out. That's the only thing that could make sense of it. But when I asked the company, they said, no, that's not true. So anyway, Hulu, they are owned by GE and Walt Disney, and they show free television programs and movies on their website. The clips contain advertisements that cannot be skipped, while TiVo is often criticized by the ad industry for allowing users to skip commercials. If you do uh, go to Hulu, you gotta, you got to sit there and watch that minute commercial. But it's, it's a minute commercial. It's not three minutes. It's not awful. TiVo is the pioneer of the digital video recorder, and they've already formed such partnerships for online content with Netflix with Amazon.com, and with YouTube. The company is expanding its offerings of shows and movies and videos as consumers increasingly migrate online. Now, RCN, a cable operator in cities including New York, Boston, and Chicago, said that they would offer TiVo recording devices to their residential and small business subscribers. Now, Rogers Cable said that TiVo lost subscribers when pay TV service DirecTV canceled contract with TiVo. 
But TiVo said it's going to take action against companies that, that steal their digital recording technology. But anyway, I think the, the most interesting thing about this is that they want to aggregate content from the web that's network television. Something we're going to have to watch. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. In theory, coming up next, Dan Rusnowski, radio announcer for the San Jose Sharks. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, my favorite economist, Robert Eiler for Sonoma State. Final four seconds of penalty timer ticking off on the clock. One more rush. Here's gets lap lead for Scott Niedermeyer. Breaks in. Penalty is over. A centering attempt just got blocked. And the Sharks have a two-on-one mini one. Here's Heatley out of the box. Hestort moving in. Gives him the play. Break away. Thornton shoots. Scores! Joe Thornton, his first of the year. Great setup from Danny Heatley. And the Sharks have a 3 nothing lead. Joining me now, Dan Rusinowski, radio announcer for the San Jose Sharks. It's the Rob Black Show. Dan, are you with me? I am with you. Great to be with you. Now, let me give you a little background, and then I'm going to let you talk, and we'll, we'll go back and forth on this. Um, I'm been a, a lover of hockey for 30 years. Um, I did it in order to get my brothers to love me, and we watched hockey as a, a family. And uh, he would take me to Washington Capital Games 30 years ago, and I fell in love with the sport. I think it's the greatest sport of all time. It kills football. It kills baseball. There's nothing quite like it. The NHL playoffs are, are magical. And I mean magical, Dan. Um, am I out of my mind for raving about the sport? No, you're not. I think it's the greatest sport on earth in terms of uh, the ultimate sport of accountability. That's what I like to call it. Uh, the fact that uh, that you have to have all of the characteristics of all of the major athletic endeavors, whether it's tremendous spill, speed, uh, grace, and skill, um, whether it's the ability to uh, handle the rough stuff, uh, the physical play, and whether it's time to be a policeman sometimes. I think a combination of all of those things, you put everything from football, baseball, basketball, and boxing, uh, and, and even uh, some other sports like, um, you know, mixed martial arts or, or, or motor sports in terms of the way the guys use their bodies. It's an incredible thing to watch in person. And, of course, it's an unnatural sport, too, because they're skating on these, these blades at about 25 miles an hour. Their bodies aren't doing something natural. They're controlling the puck on the end of a 55-inch stick. So what it, what's really incredible to me is, is the way these guys can do it, and not only do it at the level that they do, but with all the travel and with the scheduling that they have to deal with, it's an amazing thing. And it's a shame that a lot of Americans haven't fallen in love with a sport, that we only use the Olympics as a time to do our USA-USA chant. Because, again, it, it's a magical sport. When you go, the crowd has energy. Last night at the, the Shark uh, HP Pavilion, they started chanting Danny Heatley. I mean, there's love, there's passion, there's emotion in these games. Uh, it's unlike anything else, and people have to experience it. Yeah, that's right, and that's the other part of it. And, and that does extend to broadcasting, too. It's just that it's, uh, it's an acquired taste for some people that don't understand the game. But over the course of the, the years that we've been in the Bay Area since 1991, I can tell you that a variety of things have taken place. First of all, the Sharks have become intimately in, weaved into the fabric of the Bay Area in, ter- in terms of the sports culture. And two, I think that from the beginning, there's always been uh, a San Jose area, South Bay, for lack of a better way of putting it, patriotism. Um, because the NHL put its arms around the third largest city in California and was proud to call the team by its name and make that city its home and, and kind of really put it on the map. 
which happened, you know, in 1994, first of all, when the, when the Sharks beat Detroit in seven games. And, you know, that was something that Dan Rather was even talking about on the CBS Evening News, if you can believe it now. And, you know, it's gone on and on. And I think that the passion of the fans and the, and the pride in where they live and where they're from really enters into that. Uh, and you see it all the time expressed in the fan reactions to the team and, and to the game. And, you know, a place like Silicon Valley that, that is so dedicated to work, that's another factor that, that makes hockey popular because, um, you know, as was the case back in the golden years of Detroit, when you're out on an honest day shift, um, you, you make a good living. And the same thing happens with, with hockey players. They have to put out a good effort each time that they're on the ice, whether it's for 30 or 45 seconds, but they give it their all. And I think that the people that work hard like they do in Silicon Valley and all through the Bay Area really respond to that. And something that you can tell me I'm totally off base here, Dan, I'm speaking with Dan Rizanowski, the radio announcer for the San Jose Sharks. Um, a lot of the players come from Europe and Canada, and they're not the professional athletes that America produces. They're, they're, they grew up on a farm. They played hockey as a kid on a pond. They're super kind. If you ever meet Joe Thornton, you know, he, he takes time to, to shake your kid's hand. They're, they're nice people. Well, that's right, and you know that's just, that's something that hockey's always had—a very special dedication to being a good person as well as being a great athlete. I think it comes from a couple of things. Number one, um, even amongst the kids, you know, the, the, and there are a lot more people playing in the United States. For instance, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah. uh, the fact that, regardless of whether you're from a big city like, say, Toronto or Boston or New York, or whether you're from a, a farm from Western Canada. Um, like Patrick Marlowe of the Sharks is, it, it really is uh, the same culture. And the fact is, it's the ultimate sport of accountability. You have to face your teammates in the locker room, and you have to be accountable to them. And that, that's the same true, you know, for fact, true with the fans, is that you're accountable to those people that support you, because hockey, unlike other sports, is primarily dependent on ticket revenue uh, in order to stay in business. So there's a great appreciation for the fans. Um, obviously, sponsorship on radio and in television is increasing dramatically in these last few years, and it's a multi-billion dollar business now. But that culture, that idea that mom has to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to take her son to go uh, to hockey practice because that's the only time he can get ice on a, on a rink in town, that sort of commitment by a family and that commitment by a community to get the players to where they are is part of what contributes, I think, to the culture that we have. I find radio to be magical. I remember as a kid listening to West Coast games when I lived on the East Coast and listening to the hockey broadcaster. It just it intrigued me. How did you get your start in radio broadcasting, Dan? It's kind of funny. I'm, I'm like most people in radio, Rob. I got started by accident in a sense. I, I had this dream that I wanted to try it. And I, I picked out a strategy that would try to get me to the National Hockey League and get me on the radio in, in one way or another. And I went to a, an outstanding school in northern New York State, St. Lawrence University, which is a great university. It's a small school of about 2,500 students, but um, it has a Division One hockey program. And so the school would play Michigan State, would play Boston College, and all the big schools in, in, in the sport. And they had a radio station, and my, my reasoning was in a small school like that, well, maybe there'd be an opportunity for me to get on the air a little bit quickly uh, then more quickly, that sure. is, than I, than I would have if I had gone to the Newhouse School of Communications where there were thousands of people trying to get into broadcasting. And as it turned out, it was absolutely right. Um, I was trying to think also of, of getting on the air and, uh, and doing something else in case this didn't work out. So I wanted to get as good an education as possible. And as it turned out, uh, I, I met the, the gentleman that was broadcasting the games, and he said, you know, this is funny. Uh, I, I might have an opportunity for you to do one or two games near the end of the season because I don't really have anybody that, that I'd like to, to back up 
uh, for the games. And uh, I have a couple of business commitments that I'm not going to be able to do those games. So uh, if, if you work out with me and if you try to, you know, do a couple games in the tape recorder and uh, we'll see how your work goes, maybe we'll get you on the air. Well, I, I thought this was the greatest thing in the world. Well, the very first week of the season, uh, St. Lawrence was playing Harvard. And it was an intermission. And as it happened, that particular year, the team's broadcast were on an NPR station. So there were no commercials. So we were between periods, and what they normally did to give the broadcaster a break was to go back to the studio, and the studio engineer was working the board with uh, doing news break for three minutes, and they would throw it back to the arena, and you'd run the intermission, and you'd be on the air basically for three hours without commercials. And this gentleman, his name is Bob Vilas, a good friend of mine, he came up to me, and I was in the booth just calling into a tape recorder that first week, and he said, you have to come over here and, and do this interview with this reporter from the Hockey News right now. And I said, what do you mean, right now? He said, I can't do the interview. He goes, why not? I said, why not? You look perfectly fine. He said, I have to go to the bathroom, and this is my only opportunity. Here's the mic. That when the clock hits 30 seconds, you're on the air. Goodbye. Nice. And that's how I got on the air. And uh, very slowly but surely, I worked my way in through the, uh, through the business and uh, you know, became the play-by-play announcer full-time at St. Lawrence and then uh, went to graduate school and stayed in the business. And from there, went to the American Hockey League, where I really learned the professional hockey world and uh, so much about the business on that side. And from that point in New Haven, Connecticut, I, I moved out to the Sharks in 91, and I've been enjoying it very deeply ever since. Now, Dan, help me out a little bit. My audience is probably pretty new to hockey. I do a money show. But give them who they should be watching out for this year on the Sharks team. Well, you know, last night's game showcased a lot of the real stars on the team. Danny Heatley is is a new acquisition on this club, and he's one of the top scorers in the game. Joe Thornton, who's been with the team since 2005 and was the most valuable player in in 2006, um, is the top playmaker i think in the game of hockey and that's the grace behind the game the fact that you know when you go actually see a game there's so much more to the game than the guy who actually has the puck it's what happens when he doesn't have the puck that happened that you know it's so important um those two players dan boyle a third guy that's a defenseman who's one of the best in the game um offensive defenseman in fact um, those are three names that you could focus on right now and have absolutely no problem but the sharks are a pretty star-studded team and believe it or not rob there are a lot more KMEW 910 listeners, uh, or AM 910, as you are calling yourselves these days, that 910 AM, that, that are actually hockey fans. We've done some, you know, a whole bunch of marketing research, and people of very high incomes that are interested in money, um, whether they want to uh, discuss, uh, you know, the power play for the San Jose Sharks, or uh, whether or not uh, the gold standard at 100% reserve is the proper money system for the United States. I, I think that that goes hand-in-hand hand with, with the type of fans that we have. They're very sophisticated, and they're very interested. So it wouldn't surprise me to hear that a number of your listeners are also hockey fans. Now, my radio producer, Heidi, um, she rallied around Chichu. Chichu was one of those players, Jonathan Chichu, who was shipped out this year, and he went to Ottawa. We got Danny Heatley, and we gave up Milan Mahalik as well. But women kind of like the Chichu. Um, why do you think that was, Dan? You mean why did he leave? No, why did why are women so passionate about him? Well, he, he's a really inspirational guy. Yeah. Uh, first of all, he comes from Moose Factory, Ontario, which which is it's certainly a, a great visual, even in and of itself, by the name. It's on Hudson's Bay. He grew up in, in an American or North American Indian community. And so uh, he had tremendous, tremendous odds against his ever, ever getting to even minor pro, let alone the National Hockey League. And all he did was, was win the Rocket Richard Trophy as the top scorer in the game, goal scorer, that is 
when he was playing with Joe Thornton in 2006. And uh, he's just overcome tremendous odds. I remember when he was in minor pro hockey, he actually had a fractured skull one year. Um, because of a, he tripped and and hit the hit the boards in a strange way, so he missed a bunch of games, and so the, it, it just kept going against him. All of the odds kept being pushed against him, and he's just a personable guy, good-looking fellow, and a very charming guy, very sh- almost a a shy person the way that he is. And I think that uh, that there are a lot of women that that respond to all of those characteristics and really enjoy watching him play. Now, I told my my wife when the trade happened, I would gladly you know give up heat. I'd gladly bring Heatley in, give up um, Chichu, and give up Mahalik. I I just think he'd take that chance. He's a top five player in my mind, or he's got skills of a top five player. Also, with Danny Heatley, he was involved in a car accident that killed one of his friends, and we root for him, Dan. It's it's weird because in the NFL, if a player gets into trouble, we're almost like he's a punk. But Danny Heatley, we're rooting for, and last night. I got a little choked up, and the crowd was was chanting Danny Heatley. We welcomed him, and we loved him. I did, too. And you know what? Um, I think that the circumstances of the situation are, are rather different. You know, um, oftentimes, and I don't want to cast a spell on anybody else who gets into this, because, sure. uh, I, you know, we've all seen what happens when, um, you know, when you're on the road and something something dangerous occurs. I mean, it happened to me about eight, eight nine years ago, you know, which uh, was very close to my heart. So, you know, anybody who gets involved in that, I understand. The the thing with him was that there was no drinking involved. There was no extracurricular activity involved. It was simply an accident, and it was simply a unfortunate accident. And, again, it was something that uh, if, if it happened 12 times, it might not have happened that way. might have been a case of a, of a young guy with a little too much too soon. How many times have we seen that happen? But it certainly wasn't a situation that was brought upon by anything nefarious or untoward. Um, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, a, a football player that, that we've heard of going out to um, out to a club and, you know, getting arrested for something wacky that happened inside the inside the bar. You know, they, this was totally different. He was coming from a team function. So realistically, I think that that everybody um, understands that. And this is a, a, a very well-spoken, um, behaved young man. I know that he's not really loved in Canada because at this point he said he wanted to leave the Ottawa Senators and wouldn't go to the Edmonton Oilers. So um, there's a little, uh, I don't want to say jingoism, but patriotism certainly involved there um, for, for against Heatley, that is. But um, realistically, it's, it's a non-issue as far as our fans are concerned because of the circumstances by which it happened. It was just an unfortunate accident. Now, Dan, uh, I just want to give you some of the live blog comments and start to wrap this up. We have a live blog where people can jump in at Talk 910 and give their their comments. One guy says, I wish that I had this guy's voice. It's the sports announcer voice. Very authoritative. Another person says that uh, hockey players are the nicest athletes. My friend's son used to play with the Colorado Avalanche, met a lot of them. Most of them great guys. Another person says, I'm a huge fan. Another person says, I went to my very first Sharks game. So um, you get some love, Dan. Well, I really appreciate that, and you know, it, it just goes to show you again that uh, that AM nine ten listeners are uh, also hockey fans, which I which I really appreciate. Next week, I'm going to have my wife interview you, Dan, because she's the bigger shark fan than I am. Um, I've been a fan of hockey for such a long time that I kind of build my expectations into the into the playoffs, into the Stanley Cups. I start slow, but I'm starting pretty fast this year. 
Well, you know what? It, it's a long process. You've got three separate seasons. You've got the preseason, which, of course, is over, where everybody's getting prepared. Then you've got the regular season, which we're just getting into. And then, of course, you have the postseason. And that's when everybody becomes really excited because uh, the 16 teams that have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, anybody can win. And I, I think that each step of the process is very exciting. You have to take it within its context. And I, I don't see anything wrong with getting really excited about the game of hockey right now because the two points the Sharks got last night may be the difference between winning the division title and getting home ice in the playoffs and not doing so but when we get to April. So I, I, think, I think you have to enjoy the process, and I think that that's, uh, that's a good sign that that's what's happening to you. Absolutely, Dan. And uh, how can people listen to you, Dan? Because I think radio announcing is a little bit different than TV announcing, and I want people to experience both. Well, I, I happen to think that radio announcing is the purest form of doing the game because it's really an announcer's medium, um, as is the case with you where you can discuss – concepts, intellectual ideas, which I've heard many times on your show, um, it, it's something that is a one-to-one intimate relationship with each listener. Right. And so that's something that's special for sports, too, because the fans that tune in are generally the most passionate. Um, people that are tuning in are also busy people that happen to like sports as a diversion, so that's another type of listener that we have. And also people that can't see, and I, I always respect that, the fact that I'm painting a picture of what's happening on the ice and what the emotions are and what the story is. And I'm telling that story to a, a whole variety of people, including those who don't have the ability to see it, if, even if they were at a game. And so I, I take that into account. I try to get the emotion and the passion into the game, which, I, which is very, very important on the radio. And, uh, you know, it's not a TV producer's medium. It's the, broad, it's the play-by-play announcer's medium. He's the one who's, who's actually making the decisions and creating the art form that is play-by-play announcing. So for me, it's a great challenge. It's, it's the love of what I do in, in, in my career. It's my vocation, but it's also my avocation. And I think that, uh, that people that do tune in and can tune in on our 10, 11 station now radio network will find that the, the Sharks, like any other sport on the radio, are fun to listen to. They get you involved in the team, and they, have, they give you that intimate relationship, that primary link to a hockey team. As to where to find us, we're on one of your sister stations um, in the Bay Area, so um, that's, that's so probably okay to mention. Absolutely, I think. absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, it's 98.5 KFOX, which is... Uh, Great Ken in the morning in classic rock. Uh, you know, when, when you're not tuning into Armstrong and Getty, throw it over and listen to Greg Ken for 15 minutes. It's great. And uh, in the afternoons, uh, Tim Jeffries does a great job with classic rock and roll. But um, in the meantime, uh, at night when, when the Sharks are on the air, we give you all the play-by-play. And all through the, the state of California, we've got radio network affiliates from Fresno to Eureka to Sacramento to, uh, you know, nice. um, down the valley. So I, I think that people can really find us very, very easily. Easily. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. My pleasure. It's Dan Rusinowski. It was my pleasure. I got a kick out of that. I kept him on an extra six minutes because it was all about me. It's the Rob Black Show. Dan Rusinowski. He is the radio announcer for the San Jose Sharks. I don't know if y'all could tell. I got a little nervous talking to him. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rob Black. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Rusnowski, San Jose Sharks, to Robert Eiler, Sonoma State economist. This is my, my favorite 45 minutes of the week. Robert, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
Good. Um, let's just jump straight into it. Is the recession over? Or give us a state of the economy. Well, the recession technically is likely over in the sense that the next couple quarters will probably see some positive growth. But, you know, the way that we define recession right now is a little problematic. We should be thinking about the combination of GDP growth rate being positive and moving towards long-term trend and more people working. And we might not see much of a drop in the unemployment rate until sometime early next summer. Now, the employment rate to me seems to be more of the what real people should be worried about, Robert, and not really worry about technical levels of recessions, because we've been through many recessions in our lifetime. We'll be through more of them. It's when do our friends get their jobs back? Agreed. Yeah. And the other thing that, that walks alongside of that is uh, this, the understanding that GDP, which comes out quarterly, is going to hit you in a little different way from a you know expectation standpoint than unemployment, which comes out every month. So people are going to be able to monitor what's going on with the labor force a little more closely, regardless of the flaws in the statistic. And, and of course, you know the, everybody will come out of the walls and say that that's just not. It doesn't have enough rigor in it to actually watch it too close. But it certainly affects the way people expect the future and the way they make decisions today. So I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, watching the labor force is, I think, more important than anything else. I don't get too freaked out by trillion-dollar deficits, uh, Robert. It just seems to come with the territory of a big economy at this point in time. Um, I'm not worried about hyperinflation yet. Again, unemployment seems to be too high to create inflation. Am I wrong in not freaking out about trillion-dollar deficits and hyperinflation? You, you, you're correct in not freaking out about it in the sense that the last 25 years have showed that central banks have been pretty prudent in – watching inflation closely, and I think our Federal Reserve is going to be really tight on if inflation pressure starts to, to rise, they're more than willing to shove us into another into a double dip than have us in a high inflation episode. And almost, major, almost every major central bank in the world has been doing this for the last uh, almost 30 years. So I'm not worried about a hyperinflation episode either. Now, the, the trick with the trillion-dollar deficits is that as we look at what the CBO is actually estimating as the deficit is going to be throughout the next decade, the one worry starts to be how much we're mortgaging our future and our kids' taxes, because at some point taxes are going to have to rise to close the gap. Now, do you see that happening? Do you see us ever becoming fiscally responsible, Mr. Eiler? Do you, it seems like our politicians are drunken sailors or you know, really drunken sailors, and they seem to be one is worse than the other. Will we ever get fiscally conservative again and start to shrink our deficit? I think that if we do not see some significant growth in the next five years or some inkling that innovation is actually going to move us forward as a result of all this uh, fiscal and monetary expansion we've been seeing the last 18 months, the fruit of that's going to ultimately bear out into a double dip or, or bear out into a somewhat decent growth period. If we miss the decent growth period, we're going to have a strong deficit and not a lot of income taxes, not a lot of activity economically to provide more tax revenue to close that gap naturally. And then, you know, regardless of the politicians, it's going to be, well, how do we pay for these services? And we can't continue to just rack up debt like this because it will become harder and harder to sell those debt securities on the open market as other countries, for example, just do not have any faith in, in the ability long term to pay back. Is this a situation that you think we're going to be hurting our grandchildren? Because that's what everyone says. Our grandchildren will have to pay for this. Or do you think that's just, again, a little bit of hyperbole? It's a little bit hyperbole in the sense that as if you look forward, and this is the thing if you look about the 80s, uh, Reaganomics sort of showed us the path that we could run large deficits, and as long as it was generating jobs and more production, we can sort of you know, work our way out of the deficit. And then by the end of the Clinton era, 
we saw that, or we at least were told that there was a fiscal surplus, which is shocking for a lot of people, given that the deficits were still uh, rising in the 90s uh, to a certain extent, and then we just closed the gap mainly through growth and taxes and some cutting. But now, I mean, in California is, of course, a microcosm of this. Now we're really staring in the face of God. You know, how are we ever going to afford to pay these deficits and the debt that's mounting against that back? And we really have bet our farm the last 30 years on constant growth periods sort of shrinking that deficit naturally through cyclic uh, reduction of deficits rather than doing something more structurally. In other words, changing the tax code and biting the bullet on higher tax levels. Got to get a break here, Robert Eiler, but I'm going to bring you right back, and we're going to talk. Maybe we could talk a little Michael Moore's capitalism. Have you seen it? I have not seen it yet. Oh, bitter. Unfortunate. Um, Maybe we'll talk a little bit about what's happened in Detroit, a little California. Will oil ever go off the dollar? We'll talk a little China and a little California as well. It's Robert Eiler. He's the associate professor and department chair at Sonoma State. I highly recommend following him, taking a class from him, understand his economic principles. It's good stuff. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m., I'm Rob Black. There's nothing in the world like it. Taking matters into your own hands and changing your own oil. The professionals at Advanced Auto Parts know all about this. They pop open people's minds and bring out their automotive talents every day. They answer your questions and help you find the right parts, tools, and offers to succeed. Like five quarts of Castrol GTX conventional motor oil and a Pure Later Classic oil filter for only $14.99. See store for details. Advanced Auto Parts. We'll help you keep the wheels turning. Right now at the Home Depot, take 10% off appliances of $398 or more. Plus, get instant savings every day with free delivery and haul-away, which combined can save you up to an additional 79 bucks. No rebates, no hassles, no expiration dates, which makes brands like GE, Maytag, and LG more affordable than ever thanks to 10% off appliances and free delivery. More saving, more doing. That's the power of the Home Depot. Through October 14th, U.S. only. See store for details. Waking up in California every day, odds are you're going to see the sun. So why not take advantage of it? That's just what residents Al and Kathy Nagy did. They recently installed a sun power solar energy system on their home. The Nagy's estimate that with their new sun power system, they will actually pay nothing for electricity. And now with federal, state, and local incentives, they can save up to 50% off the initial cost, making it more affordable than ever. But it wasn't just the low cost that attracted the Nagy's to sun power. It was also about becoming energy independent and doing it with the most experienced solar power company around. The Nagy's joined the solar revolution. Find out how you can too and get sun power, the planet's most powerful solar, on the roof of your home at 1-800-SUN-POWER or seastoday.com. With federal, state, and local incentives, there's never been a more affordable time to go solar. And it's never been easier than with SunPower's unique solar loan. You'll be saving money the very first day. So join the solar revolution today at 1-800-SUNPOWER or seastoday.com. What the world needs now is energy. The energy to get the economy humming again. The energy to tackle challenges like climate change. What if that energy came from an energy company? Every day, Chevron invests $62 million in people, in ideas, fueling growth around the world to move us all ahead. This is the power of human energy. Visit chevron.com to find out more. 
Protecting data and preventing computer downtime is critical to small businesses. That's why more companies trust Geeks on Call to keep their information safe and accessible. Industry-certified Geeks on Call professionals offer same-day service and come directly to you. It's like having your own computer guy without the overhead. Call 1-800-905-GEEK and mention this ad for $25 off your service call. And don't forget to ask about Geeks on Call residential services, too. Geeks on Call, 1-800-905-GEEK. It's the smartest call you'll ever make. Ahead at noon, Glenn Beck. Now, Rob Black. 9:10 a.m. More stimulating talk. I'm speaking with Robert Eiler from Sonoma State University. Robert, Hi, Rob. earlier in the show, I had a caller call in, and he doesn't like he doesn't like the way America is treating you know, Flint, Michigan. And I go, it's globalization, buddy. It's going to happen with or without you. And, you know, Flint is, in in my mind, should just be nuked or should just turn it into a prison city. Um, it just isn't realistic anymore that jobs are going to be supported there or in that part of the country. Um, how off base am I? He was screaming about free trade and fair trade and, and you know, we, we don't need globalization. We need to protect jobs. Or where Where do you fall in this? Well, I'm an advocate of free trade because, from an economist standpoint, it's very hard to argue for protectionism by the nature of what it does is distorting both the nature of how you produce and also the way you consume. So to a certain extent, you could look back in the 70s and 80s and say that by the, the trade barriers that we had up, it actually provided an incentive for our domestic car manufacturers to slow down innovation, always believing that that sort of subsidization of their production in pushing away competition was, was going to remain, and we, those other, uh, the foreign car producers would never penetrate the markets deeply enough to actually erode market share. And now in this decade, we've really seen the fruit of that laziness, if you want to put it that way, on the part of our, our domestic car manufacturers to not innovate and not stay on the frontier in the technology, and they just got passed by. So I certainly agree with the idea that, you know, you have to have free trade and you have to be ready for that, and competition is just part of that. Uh, it, there's, there's a huge human cost to the nature of those decisions, however, and now we're looking, you know, 300,000-plus people that may be out of work in the next five years. So let's, let's address that real quick because I think you glossed over that a little bit. What do we do with the Flint Michigans? Do we just shut them down and say go to the coast and get a job and get educated? Oh. No. In fact, you know, uh, the state of Michigan has a really innovative uh, prog- program in place. It's uh, kind of like a no-worker-left-behind. Okay. And they're actually doing a lot of job training to – to take people that used to be in the auto industry and actually retool them for other positions in, in green and clean technologies in, in the trades and things that are not, in, not necessarily uh, related to auto manufacturers. So they are, the state of Michigan is actually farther ahead on this than most people know. Okay, now let's, let's change gears and go back to that dollar story. A lot of people are afraid, uh, Robert, that uh, OPEC may stop trading oil in dollars and they may go to some sort of basket of currencies. What are the ramifications of this, and what are the likelihoods of this happening? Uh, the likelihood of it, I would tell you, is, is 50-50. I think it's unlikely to happen soon. I think it would probably happen in two or three years because OPEC right now has a pretty good gig going with the dollar as its currency. Uh, the, for the ramifications for the American consumer is that we're going to have to see a tighter leash on uh, allowing our dollar's value to slip easily or it's going to cost us more for gas than, uh, than we currently are paying. 
it's, it, it exposes the American consumer to a, a second level of risk, which is, if you can think of it, it's almost like a currency risk on top of the risk of, of having supply controlled, that if supply was to be, con- be restricted by choice of OPEC to increase prices, that would not be a direct relationship anymore to American, to the price of gas in the United States. It would be more of a direct relationship to a, a price on the basket of currencies. And so if our dollar was going down at the same time, uh, the supply got contracted, there'd be a double whammy on the gas price domestically. So again, we're speaking with Robert Eiler, Sonoma State University economist, one of my favorite guests. Uh, let's talk a little bit about California. Uh, we just sure. went through a crazy budget. We were sending out IOUs. Uh, what's the damage done or no damage done? And where do we as a state go? Well, it's funny because I was just talking about this the other day to another group that, um, you know, we seem to have been kind of in a flat line on news about what's going on in Sacramento, even though the, the problems are still brewing, and next year looks no better, if potentially even worse. So this will start ramping up again in February, if not before. And the damage has been done, was done, you know, 30 years ago, if you look at Prop 13, but really was done seven or eight years ago when uh, we had a fiscal surplus in California, at least again, this is what we were told, and we simply spent against it, forgetting that we take a two-thirds vote to, to initiate any new taxes. So while a majority could put expenditures in permanently, it took a two-thirds vote of our uh, Assembly and Congress to actually move it forward. And, and so the uh, move forward on the tax side. So the damage is done and the damage is deep and it's going to continue. There's nothing in our current tax code setup that suggests that we're going to break out of this deficit problem and it's probably just going to get deeper because we have no place to draw revenue. Is there a fix? Should we move? Uh, should I go up to Oregon and Washington and get out while I can? Well, the funny thing is that from a sort of long-term damage standpoint, businesses and residents are certainly going to consider going to a lower tax environment. And it's not like taxes are small in California as it is. Right. Uh, so they're already doing that. Businesses are certainly the bigger threat there. Uh, but the bottom line is, and this is also true at the federal level, there's going to be no place to hide at some point. And at some point, there's going to be enough political pressure to either reduce expenditures in a really harsh fashion and push some of those services off onto the private markets, like, for example, social services and health services more explicitly, uh, and then simply just look at more taxes. And so the, the Commission on the 21st Century, for example, has come out with a very, you know, a pretty broad program of how to expand the tax base. Uh, and it'll, it'll be tricky politically to see if they get that through. But we're still looking at a really rocky 18 months in Sacramento. A lot of Bay Area natives, we want to know about real estate prices. What's your take on real estate prices three years into this, this bubble deflation? I think that real estate prices are going to slowly creep back up. I think that we, just like any other asset markets, I think we pushed them up way too far. We had a speculative bubble that burst on some, if you want to put it, this sort of irrational exuberancy and then and now we've gone way under the fundamental value of the home, uh, but not that far under in the sense that how much far uh, the height that we went above the fundamental value. I think that we are, uh, we've overcorrected and it should creep up. It'll probably be single-digit creep rather than double-digit rising. Uh, but I would tell you by 2012, we'll probably be you know, 20% greater than today as far as the housing price is concerned, but not much more than that, which is uh, somewhat you know, for the, for the people that are in real estate the last 20 years may seem real, real slow, but it's better than negative. Absolutely. What would a good historic, well, what would a good real estate growth rate be if, if I was buying a house today? What would I want to look for? Well, what you'd want to look for uh, as far as, you mean as far as the type of structure? Um, maybe the type of structure and what sort of rate of return I could expect from real estate over time. Well, the funny 
funny thing about real estate, and this is, this is where the mentality of the last 15 years has kind of skewed, is that you need to look at real estate as having a rate of return both in the, the appreciation of your home's price but the fact that you're circumventing rent. And if you stuff those two together, you know, the, the rate of return is, is somewhat difficult to just look at, this, at the prices of housing alone. So if you're looking at it though that way, as, as long as you are outpacing inflation – and uh, you're able to circumvent rent, those two jammed together is the way you should be thinking about uh, the rate of return on real estate. You shouldn't be thinking about it as a double-digit wealth generator for you beyond, uh, beyond inflation. And that's something that we kind of lost grip of when real estate was rising so rapidly in the last two decades. I'm speaking with Robert Eiler, Sonoma State University economist. Um, are you teaching any classes this quarter? Yeah, I'm teaching money and banking. Money and banking. And a normal average person could take your class, right? Uh, you, you need to have a little bit of economics before you take the class. But uh, generally speaking, anybody with, with a single class in economics could take the course, yes. We've got about a minute left. What do we need to know? What did I miss in my questions? Uh, what you need to know is that the recession, while it will probably be declared to be over, that won't have, the declaration won't happen for another year. But we are still going to see some real, real sluggish movement up for the next 12 months unless... We see some innovation come through, some technological change start to generate jobs and then generate the multiplier effects we like to see from boom periods the last couple of decades. Right now, nothing like that is showing its face, so we're looking at a pretty tough first half of 2010. And Asia, would you invest in Asia? Do you believe in their economics, or do you think uh, it's, it's voodoo? I think it's partial voodoo, and this is why. If you look at the Asian situation, the Asian situation looks a lot like Japan looked like. Uh, you know, and if you think of continental Asia is what Japan looked like in the 70s and 80s, where it sort of it boosted right through worldwide recession and kept on moving very, very rapidly. They have got some tough questions to deal with in China, for example. They also have a Social Security problem and um, a large bubble of the population that's going towards retirement, or at least an age in which they're not going to be as productive. And if the Chinese economy... Robert, I'm out of time. Oh, sorry. I'll Thank bring you. you back. That's good right. stuff. It's Robert Eiler, Sonoma State University. Have a good weekend. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.